Welcome to Watch It Baptist Church Online. I'm the pastor of Watch It Baptist Church and my name is Mike and you're joining us for the third in our series looking at signs in the Gospel of John. This is our third part and so we're looking at the third sign. I will give you a bit of a warning though that there isn't a consistency among all scholars about how many signs there are in John. Some say seven and some say eight. At this point we are at the third and pretty much everyone agrees which the third one is and it's this. So it begins at the beginning of chapter five of John's Gospel and is referred to sometimes as the healing at the pool. Uh, and so we're going to be reading that short, shortly. We're reading verses one to 18 which isn't the shortest passage but it's important that we get the whole of what's going on. So we're going to have a look at some context and some points to note and some things that we might take away with us. But before we do go any further, let's pray together. Father God, we ask for your Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit would excite us, stir us up, uh, give us effervescence, put fizz in us possibly, because we want to be excited about what you reveal in the Bible. We want to be excited about what John's Gospel tells us and what we find out about Jesus as we look through this passage. Give us your grace and your spirit, we pray. Amen. So I'm reading from the NIV. I'm starting at chapter 5, verse 1, uh, and it goes like this. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now there is in Jerusalem, near the Sheep Gate, a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralysed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred, and while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. The day on which this took place was a Sabbath. And so the Jewish leaders said to the man who'd been healed, it's the Sabbath. The law forbids you to carry your mat. But he replied, the man who made me well said to me, pick up your mat and walk. So they asked him, who is this fellow who told you to pick it up and walk? The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning or something worse may happen to you. The man went away and told the Jewish leaders that it was Jesus who had made him well. So, because Jesus was doing these things on the Sabbath, the Jewish leaders began to persecute him. In his defence, Jesus said to them, My father is always at work, to this very day, and I too am working. For this reason they tried all the more to kill him. Not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. I'm going to leave it there. There is a lot more to look at, and Jesus talks about the testimony uh, that identifies him and that 
speaks to his identity. But we're not going to go into all those things just now. We're going to remind ourselves about a couple of things to do with John's Gospel as we begin. So the Gospel itself as a whole is concerned with Jesus' identity, but also with belief. And we've looked before at chapter 20, verse 31, where the author tells us that he's written all this stuff down so that we might believe or continue believing. And that as a result of believing, specifically in Jesus, that we might have life through him. It's important as ever to look at the context for this passage. Now, there are various bits of context flowing around. One of them is the context uh, of the point in the story. So John's already been talking to us about the opposition that Jesus has been facing and has shown us how Jesus has gone from Judea, the southern part of of that uh, province, uh, up to Galilee and back again for different reasons. Part of the context is also literary. So uh, in John chapter 1, in the prologue, John writes this, he, that's Jesus being referred to, was in the world, and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. So we have already John preparing us as an audience for an encounter like this one. We also have in in context terms in chapters 2, 3 and 4 various encounters that Jesus has that spark something about belief and identity but it's particularly the belief side that I want to look at here. There's a mixture of responses to Jesus in terms of belief and unbelief. Perhaps significantly, the Samaritans he encounters are pretty believing as a group, whereas in Jewish circles there is a mixture. The disciples have chosen to believe, but not everybody has. So, with those things in mind, I'd like to just take a little look at some of the points that we might notice from these 18 verses. First of which is this, that this is the third sign. I said at the, at the top of the uh, of the video here that we are in good company and people believing this is the third sign, which is interesting because John doesn't actually give us a number. The author doesn't say this is the third sign, but it is recognised that there is a third one here. Secondly, the pool in question has been identified by archaeologists. It had, if I've remembered what I read correctly, it had a covered arch on all four sides and then another one across the pool as well. Uh, you might have noticed as you read through with me that verse 4 is missing. So there was a point when the verse numbers were added and at that time uh, there was a, the manuscripts they were working by had additional material but since then further uh, manuscripts have been found that are older and considered to be more reliable and they don't include the words that have been in the past included in verse 4. Uh, what the verse 4 does say is that um, an angel would come down and stir the waters of the pool and that so when the water was moving people felt that was the right moment to go in and it had healing properties but that is not included in the earliest manuscripts it seems to have been added a little later. The next thing I want to look at is the man himself. So this the guy who was the beneficiary, the guy who was healed from being paralysed. There's some things I think it's worth us noticing about him. 
First of all, he's probably quite old. He'd been paralysed for 38 years. Now, we don't really have any information about whether he had a lot of life before that. But it doesn't say he was paralysed from birth. So it suggests that the paralysis happened later. So some part of his life before those 38 years would have um, would have been not paralysed. Uh, and so some commentators think that that means that he may easily have been in his late 50s. Um, so he seems to have been an older guy. Interestingly, when Jesus asks him a question, he says, do you want to be well? He doesn't really give us an answer. He doesn't say, yes, I do, or no, I don't. What he does instead is complain. He says, no one helps me. And he also misses what a lot of commentators think is an important point, that when Jesus says, do you want to be well? He's not just saying, do you want to be physically whole? He's saying, are you ready for a life that would be massively different? After 38 years living like this, life would be changed. Not least because when you were paralysed, people would, not always, but they would, some, help. They might provide food or coins or, obviously this guy was hoping that they might actually carry him to the pool. But he was dependent. And at this point, Jesus is possibly saying, are you ready for a life where you're not dependent in that way? You're dependent on something else instead. But he doesn't answer the question. He does instead have a bit of a moan that people aren't being nicer to him. He lacks will. Now, it's interesting, I've read this. I think it's a little bit of a stretch, but I can kind of see what people are getting at. So I, I, I typically read through six or seven commentaries uh, in preparation. And the majority of them are saying that the guy seems to lack um, purpose in himself, drive, uh, intentionality in addition to lacking health. There is a bit of speculation that he may have been emotionally um, paralysed as well, that he'd been so detached from what regular life was like and from hope, perhaps, that he was a bit busted emotionally, possibly, too. And he also seems to lack awareness. Jesus has made quite a stir in Judea and in Galilee up to this point. Uh, but this man doesn't know who he is, and that is kind of my next point. So... He doesn't really seem to pay attention to who's talking to him, who's healed him, uh, or sort of what might happen next. In fact, when he gets caught doing something that he presumably would have known he shouldn't do, he looks to blame Jesus, even though he doesn't know who Jesus is. It's not my fault. The guy told me to do it. So there's a, a certain amount of kind of lack of awareness uh, from this man partly about who Jesus is, but about other things too. And then he does grasp Jesus up, as it were. He does tell tales. Um, he'll say, uh, somebody else told me to do it. And that's not a problem because nobody, he doesn't know who the somebody is. Uh, and then Jesus finds him later in the temple, not at the pool, but at the temple. And they have this exchange. And the man's response to that exchange isn't, uh, as far as we know, because John doesn't tell us that he believes in Jesus. Instead, his response is to go and find the guys who told him off and say, that guy who I said caused the trouble, it's Jesus. So there's no indication that this guy believes. There's no indication that this, by, this guy trusts Jesus. There's every indication that he wants to hold other people responsible for his lack of um, for his, his still being paralysed. He wants to hold somebody else responsible for him getting in trouble. He wants to hold somebody else responsible for everything. 
and he doesn't put his trust, his belief in Jesus. I think it's also worth noting that Jesus slips away. Now, there is a little bit of evidence that, that in John's Gospel particularly, Jesus continuously does this. Every time somebody um, goes after him or, or tries to pin him down or um, goes to make trouble for him, he slips away. And I think it's worth bearing in mind that at the start, at the first sign at Cana, when Mary talks to Jesus, Jesus' response includes saying, it's not my time yet. The hour has not yet come. And it's almost as if until the hour does come, he's just going to keep slipping away and staying under the radar. Next thing to notice is that this is an offence uh, against the Sabbath in the eyes of the Jewish leadership. Now, there are lots of ways of looking at this that include the idea that um, the Pharisees essentially exercised a kind of coercive control over the people by telling them what they could and couldn't do about all kinds of things. They'd, they had gone into meticulous detail in codifying everything that you could and couldn't do um, for particular reasons, to do with whether things were clean, to do with whether, what day it was, to do with what festival you were in, uh, various other things too. But there are three things going on here in terms of offences against the Sabbath. The first one we've looked at already, it's the man, he's carrying his mat, he shouldn't be carrying anything, the Pharisees say. The second thing is Jesus' response. Now, it's interesting that, that in this case, Jesus goes for one thing in his response. When he's accused of breaking the Sabbath law, he says, my father was always working, so I'm always working too. What's interesting is that when we look at other examples where Jesus is accused of, of um, working on the Sabbath or allowing his disciples to do so, he has three different uh, comeback responses. Now, these aren't in John's Gospel, but I thought they were worth just noticing. So in Matthew 12, Jesus allows his disciples to pick grain. Uh, and he says, in, in defence of that, he says... Well, David's men, when they were hungry on a Sabbath, uh, ate the food out of the temple, uh, out of the, um, not out of the temple, uh, out of the tabernacle, and they shouldn't have done that. That was breaking the rules, but it was okay. He also says, if any of you talking to me and having a problem with this have an animal that's got into difficulties, that's stuck somewhere, you will go and free it, even though it's the Sabbath. And then thirdly, he says, priests are always working on the Sabbath. But that's okay too. So he's almost saying, look, there are, there are situations where it's worth remembering that the Sabbath isn't really about prohibition. It's about a recognition of God and what he's given. And that actually, if you're going to be doing something that's based on need or mercy or circumstances or honouring God as the priest did, that there are ways in which working on the Sabbath... Uh, shouldn't just be covered with a blanket, no. Uh, finally, in these points to notes, I want to mention verse 14, where uh, Jesus finds this man at the temple and he says, stop sinning, uh, or something worse might happen. Now, there are different ways of understanding this. Uh, some have felt that this suggests that the man was paralysed in the first place because of something he'd done wrong. Now you can see the logic of that. I think what I want to draw your attention to is that in chapter 9, when Jesus heals a man uh, blind, the disciples ask him whose sin is responsible for uh, the blindness. And Jesus says, nobody's. 
So it would seem that Jesus isn't big on this idea that uh, an illness or a frailty uh, or you know, any kind of lack of health or, um, or disability, He's, he doesn't go for this idea that these are caused by sin necessarily. It is possible then to look at this as Jesus saying that I've healed you, uh, but I recognise that you've not actually come to believe me. You've not, you're not following John's teaching or mine. And so actually what you do need to do is repent because otherwise when the day of judgment comes, there's going to be something worse than paralysis that you have to face. Thirdly, I just want to say that the oversimplified ways of looking at this are, are going to be unhelpful, not just for us, but for people around us who don't know Jesus yet or know him a little and, and need to have an understanding of how mercy works. And then if we jump straight to, well, this is clearly an indication that if you are sinful, bad things will happen, and if you're good, bad things won't happen. First of all, our observation about the world around us doesn't bear that out. Secondly, you read Ecclesiastes for 10 minutes, and you can see that, that the Bible elsewhere doesn't buy into that kind of logic either. So let's not be oversimplified. There may be some complication in how we read that encounter, uh, but it's unlikely to be as simple as um, if you sin again you'll get paralyzed again or worse that doesn't seem to marry up with how jesus does things okay so we've been talking for a while i want to just pick on three things uh, that we might take away as things to to be aware of from this passage first of all the question that we keep trying to come back to which is what kind of god do we see in this passage and i think we see a god who is compassionate when there is no belief so we looked at all those things about the man the man who was paralyzed and was healed the man who was desperate to get into the water when it was stirred so that he could be well that ultimately jesus heals him but there is no indication that it brings about faith in contrast to the royal official's son uh, well, the royal official and his household when his son is healed uh, in contrast to the woman at the well in contrast to the, to the disciples after the wedding at cana there is no indication here that the man puts his trust in jesus so jesus does not need belief in order to be compassionate Secondly, I want to say that we see at this point an ongoing and building sense of opposition against Jesus. So there's now a, a tussle that's going to absolutely characterise the rest of the gospel. And it's a tussle between Jesus and his opponents. And his opponents are representative of unbelief, among other things. But they do represent unbelief. And in this situation where Clearly, the supernatural is part of the context for what Jesus does. So that, that amazing pool with its incredible properties and the, uh, the healing that he does without needing anything that the pool would offer. Got all these incredible supernatural goings on. Uh, and yet the opposition to Jesus uh, is rooted in an unbelief, in a, in a boxing in of how God works and what he is like. Thirdly, I think it's worth remembering that part of what Jesus does in his answer is identifies himself with God. In fact, that's the problem that the um, Jewish leaders come away with. 
not only has he worked on the Sabbath and broken Sabbath law, but he's also identified God as his father, which makes him equal to because he would inherit um, his father's kingdom. And therefore he puts himself on that same level. So Jesus equates himself with God, which is something that we're not surprised by because we read the prologue yeah, in, in John 1 where uh, where John tells us that Jesus was one being with the Father. Uh, so he, he makes that connection, that identification, and it causes his problems and it will stoke up that opposition. Um, and that's in addition to um, compassion uh, coming before belief, but also a challenging of the idea that the Sabbath is somehow greater than God is because this is effectively what the Jewish leaders were saying. You know, the, the Sabbath is so holy and so special that even God um, wouldn't mess with it, that, that nothing else that happens is more important than Sabbath. Okay, well, that's a, maybe a little bit of a, of a faster-moving look through the passage this time than previous occasions. I hope there's been stuff in there that you are able to take away and, and think about. We're going to have a look at our three questions in a moment, uh, but I will just finish uh, by revisiting those, um, what I think are key points here, and then I'll pray. So those three key points, Jesus identifies himself as being equal with the Father. Compassion is something Jesus does even without belief. And uh, we see that there is a, a misunderstanding that the Sabbath is somehow greater than the God who gave it. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for your miraculous signs. We thank you for your goodness and your gentleness and your generosity and your mercy. We thank you for the healing that you provided for someone who didn't believe and actually didn't bother to find out who you were. We pray that we would be receptive, ready to take you in to our lives as you are compassionate to us. Amen. Okay, so here's our three questions. Question one is this. Do you ever get to the point where you feel that telling someone about Jesus is more important than showing them compassion? Perhaps we need to flip that on its head as well and say, do you ever feel that showing compassion means that you don't have to talk about Jesus? Question two, do we ever think that Jesus is somehow different from God? Do we have some kind of assumption, uh, kind of instinctive feeling that Jesus and the Father are different? And why might we feel that way? Question three, do you have any experience from within yourself or from those you've encountered are situations where disciples, Christians, put the rules above God, where somehow the rules have become more important than the character of Jesus. Well, that's it from me for this time. I look forward to catching up with you again soon when we look at the fourth sign, and we are going to use uh, the feeding of the 5,000 as our fourth sign. Uh, I look forward to talking through that one with you soon. God bless and take care.